Hi, I'm Jimmy Coe. And I'm Stephen Hawk. And we're the host of the Cosmic Sponge Podcast, where we explore the unknown from UFOs and cryptids to unexplained disappearances and ancient mysteries. If you're looking for strange stories that will keep you on the edge of your seat, jump on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or search for Cosmic Sponge on your favorite listening platform. Head on over to our website at www.cosmicsponge.com to get access to all of our content, including a full list of platforms where you can enjoy the show. Hi, Techie Joe here. I work with Ace and Knight and some of the best psychics in West Virginia to create amazing live streams and podcasts for the Psychic Coffee Shop Network. Together, we brew up great content discussing news, events, hot topics, and more, all from a psychic perspective. On the Psychic Coffee Shop, we interview amazing authors in the metaphysical realm. Coffee and Tea combines Asen with Tracy, Dottie, Natalie, or Lady Gwendolyn for the good and the bad of being a psychic. Shameless self-promotion with Dottie the Psychic talks to leading and emerging YouTubers and business owners in our community. Mountain Bears brings you the latest in LGBT news and politics. The Psychic That Plans answers the question of, well, how a psychic plans. Plus, we're live on air. We take your comments and your questions, including psychic advice questions. Check out our amazing programming, book an appointment with top psychics, and find out all the wonderful things we have to offer at PCSBnetwork.com today. This is Postscript Editing Jason, jumping in because I totally forgot to thank the members of the Esoteric Archive. Specifically, Annie Kay, Soul Rising Studios, and Grand Inquisitor Samantha. Your contributions help to pay server costs, purchase reading material, and helps to keep a steady supply of caffeine in my circulatory system. If you too would like to join the Esoteric Archive and get some awesome rewards, go to patreon.com forward slash esoteric book club. Welcome back, goblins! You're listening to the Esoteric Footnotes, the show where I examine a topic in spirituality, the paranormal, or in magic. As you may have noticed, this is not the Esoteric News Briefs. That show is now a Patreon exclusive, starting at the $5 a month tier. It seems weird, but frankly, that show took a lot of time to assemble. I had to read about five articles just to get one that was show-worthy, and then I had to write about it and record it. When it's all said and done, each article that I wrote only filled about four minutes of airtime. To get a full episode, that requires roughly eight articles, which means I had to read somewhere around 40 going into it. And some months, there's just not 40 applicable articles. Thus, you can see my dilemma. I would prefer to give you quality content rather than review a subpar series of articles just to fill the allotted amount of airtime. I'm not saying that the news briefs were subpar. I'm just saying that sometimes I really had to work to make something interesting. Looking back, I realized that some of my previous editorial or independent episodes were really well received. For example, the episode entitled, What Does It Mean?, is one of my most viewed and best received episodes to date. Another one, the Not Deer, 
is my research into a new cryptid. Again, it was very well received, but it was a departure from my regular news brief episodes. Because I was starting to see this trend, I did a poll to see what aspects of my content people enjoyed the most. And guess what the results were? Yep, you guessed it. The news was at the bottom, scoring only about a 50% approval rating from listeners. As a result, I had to sit back and ask myself, why am I putting so much effort into a portion of the show that only half of my audience even enjoys? I decided to change things up a bit. That's why the news briefs are now a Patreon exclusive and the footnotes are now the New Moon episodes. If you don't like this change, please let me know. Heck, if you do like them, let me know. Don't think that my news articles are all going to be behind a paywall, though. I will still be doing two articles a month at the beginning of each book club episode. This will take me back to my roots from when I first created the show. Anyway, that's enough of my rambling. Let's get on to tonight's topic. How many of you have already failed your New Year's resolution? Show of hands. Yeah, that's what I thought. How many of you didn't even bother making a New Year's resolution this year? Yeah, me neither. I mean, what's the point? Half of the time, I don't even remember what my resolution was after the first few months. Unless you write it down, I venture to say that no one does. So why do we even make them? Where does this practice even come from? I'll totally admit, I had to Google this one, and I found some pretty interesting answers. It seems that the New Year's resolution is about as old as human civilization. I'm using civilization in very loose terms here. Basically, it's been a thing since large-scale agriculture and city-states, as you will soon hear. The first recorded mention of it comes from Babylon in about 2000 BC. Yes, they are that old. Things were a little different at that time, obviously, and the New Year was one instance of this. For one thing, it didn't take place on December 31st, but instead took place around the vernal equinox. This was the festival of Akitu, and it lasted for 12 days. Hmm, 12 days around New Year's. Doesn't that sound familiar? It actually started three days prior to the equinox, with each day being dedicated to a specific rite. On the first day of Akitu, the head priest would recite sad prayers to the congregation, and the other priests lead the people in reciting equally sad prayers back to the head priest. Basically, the head priest was lamenting how terrible the world is, and everyone else is saying, Yeah, it's horrible. You should totally do something about that. This leads to what is known as the Secret of Esagila, a poetic prayer recited to Marduk, begging him to protect his chosen people and their city. It reads as follows. 
Keep in mind this poem is 4,000 years old and translated from ancient Babylonian. Lord without peer in thy wrath, Lord, gracious King, Lord of the lands, who made salvation for the great gods, Lord who throwest down the strong by his glance, Lord of kings, light of men, who dost apportion destinies, O Lord, Babylon is thy seat, for Sippa thy crown, the wide heavens are thy body. Within thine arms thou takest the strong, within thy glance thou grantest them grace, makest them see light so that they proclaim thy power. Lord of the lands, light of the Agigi, who pronouncest blessings, who would not proclaim thy, yea, thy power? Would not speak of thy majesty, or praise thy dominion. Lord of the lands, who livest in Udal, who takest the fallen by the hand. Have pity upon thy city Babylon. Turn thy face towards Esagila, thy temple. Give freedom to them that dwell in Babylon, thy wards. So this first day is sort of a combination of ritual, prayer, and group theater. On the second day, the high priest would bathe in the Euphrates River and then perform special rituals in the Esagila, commonly known as the Temple of Marduk. On the third day, craftsmen would create two wooden puppets and decorate them in gold and gemstones. These will be used later on in the festival. Day four is where things start to get fun. This day is dedicated to memorials and partying. Imagine people commemorating those who passed away during the previous year, followed by lots and lots of drinking and dancing. Considering this is also a celebration of the sowing of the barley crops, you can see why drinking was so heavily involved. On day five, while the people were sitting on the riverbank having a day-long picnic, the king was taken to the Esagila to humble himself before Marduk, on behalf of his people, of course. Then the high priest would slap the king. Yep, you heard that correctly. Once a year, the high priest was able to smack the shit out of his king. Better yet, it was a good omen if the king cried. On the sixth day, the sixth day gets a little crazy. After two days of partying, the priests collect all the statues of the gods from around the city and hide them in the temple. Those fancy puppets created on day three were publicly burned, and mock battles would be held in the streets. After all that drinking, I imagine a few real battles were probably taking place. The idea was that on the sixth day, everyone got to see what kind of chaos would happen without the blessings of the gods. After this, the remaining days follow Marduk fighting Tiamat, the other gods joining in, their subsequent victory, and Marduk's triumphant return to Babylon, 
where he renews his covenant with his chosen people. This New Year's covenant was basically Marduk asking the people if they were happy with his blessings. The people collectively saying, Of course we are! And then Marduk renewing their deal for another year. So the first type of New Year's resolution was a sacred oath made with a deity. The Romans eventually decided that this whole thing sounded like a blast, so they created their own New Year's party. With blackjack and hookers! The Roman New Year celebration focused on making oaths with the god Janus. Janus is an interesting deity because he is in charge of transitions. He is the doorway, not the door. He is the lull in fighting between war and peace. And in this specific instance, he is one year ending and another beginning. Originally, this celebration was held in March, but the creation of the Julian calendar introduced the month of January. So New Year's shifted to January 1st. They named the month after him, so it's only fair to reschedule the party. This time of year would get rather wild in Rome, since Saturnalia had just ended a week prior. And then... New Year's Day arrives. Sure, our Western holidays fall in a similar pattern, but we don't celebrate them with public intoxication and gambling. See, I was only partially joking about the blackjack and hookers. Anyway, the Roman people took this time to give gifts, have feasts, and make vows to Janus. Again, the New Year's resolution was an oath to a deity. In 567 AD, the Christian leaders of Rome decided that New Year's celebrations were, frankly, too pagan for them, so they were declared illegal. In turn, it was decided that the New Year would begin on December 25th, because Jesus. Then we jump about 800 years to the early 1300s when we get the Nine Worthies, chivalry, and, you guessed it, more sacred vows. Chances are you've not heard of the Nine Worthies. I know I certainly hadn't until I fell down this, admittedly strange, rabbit hole. The concept is basically a selection of people who represented the attributes of knightly chivalry. It gets weird, though, because the list includes three pagans, three Christians, and three, quote, better Jews. Even when being praised, it's done with backhanded racism. This list includes Hector of Troy, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, King Arthur, Charlemagne, Godfrey of Bouillon, because this is France, Joshua, King David, and Judah Maccabee. I don't want to get into the details of these nine men, but the idea was that they all represented knightly virtues as seen by the medieval Franks. At the end of Christmas, the knights would each vow to be more like one of these nine people. 
This practice, known as the peacock vow, seems more like what we would think of as a modern New Year's resolution, even if it takes place on Christmas. It's no longer about renewing a covenant with a deity, but about bettering one's self by actively working towards a virtue, however morally skewed that virtue may be in hindsight. At this same time, other Christian sects were observing a watch-night service before the coming of the new year. Basically, you stay up all night in prayer, confession, and a renewal of your covenant with God. It's interesting how we came back to all of that, huh? The watch-night service is a pushback from the church in response to everyone else partying on New Year's Eve. Ironically enough, the Christian watch-night service is the closest thing that we have to the original New Year's practice of renewing your covenant with a deity. In 1582, Pope Gregory III renovated the Julian calendar to fix things like leap years. At this same time, he declared that the new year would begin, once again, on January 1st. I also want to take a moment to point out that Great Britain continued to use the inaccurate Julian calendar for almost another 200 years after this change. It's hard to believe but England and its colonies didn't begin using the modern calendar until roughly the time of the French and Indian War. If you're listening to this in the United States, the calendar as we know it today is only slightly older than the country itself. Then again, it's mostly because England decided to be obstinate for 200 years. Sort of like us in the metric system. Since that time, the idea of making a New Year's resolution was created, satirized, and eventually became what it is today. Mostly a punchline. That leads us to the word resolution, which is strange in itself. It comes from the Latin term, and eventually the French term, meaning to break into smaller parts. This definition sounds a lot like the English word dissolve, though, believe it or not, the two words have completely different Latin roots. I tried looking in the Dictionary of Etymology, but there's no real explanation as to why the word shifted to mean power of holding firmly or having the character of acting with a fixed purpose. All we know is that by the mid-1500s, that's how the word was being used, and it seems to have just stuck with us. So a New Year's resolution is a focused change in ourselves that we choose to pursue throughout the year. It seems pretty straightforward, right? The problem is, these resolutions are mostly made half-assed. People are not putting forth the effort required to make this change. It's about as effective as making a wish and blowing out candles on a birthday cake. In the end, all it does is help people point out what they perceive as their own failings, and then remind them of those failings throughout the year when they don't meet their resolution. One solution to this problem that has begun making the rounds on social media is the option of setting a theme for the year. 
you're not making a focused, specific change, but instead, you're choosing how to frame your endeavors. Instead of saying, I want to lose 15 pounds, you would say, I want to focus on my health and well-being. Another example is to replace, I want to spend less time on social media with, I will be present in the moment. This takes some practice and in some instances, such as the last one, takes time to figure out how to frame it as a theme rather than as a statement. Of course, that's only one option. What if, instead of being progressive with our New Year's, we instead were regressive? As we heard earlier, the origin of the New Year's resolution began with a renewal of vows, covenants, and oaths. A large part of this podcast has to do with paganism, polytheism, and magic. So why not lean into that aspect of it? How can we re-enchant New Year's? Believe it or not, something like this has been done. Though, from what I've seen, it isn't often enacted. And that is the exchange of power between the Oak King and the Holly King. Yes, I am aware that this is an entirely neo-pagan concept created by the poet Robert Graves. And yes, I know that his work can be problematic. But the theme remains part of our culture and still has influence on many people today. But I digress. For those of you who are not familiar with this idea, the Oak King and the Holly King are two semi-divine entities who rule during different seasons. The Oak King rules during the warm months, while the Holly King rules during the cold. From what I understand, Graves initially had the exchange of power happen during the solstices, for a current topic, the Holly King would turn over kingship to the Oak King during the winter solstice. It has been pointed out by many modern pagans that this really doesn't make any sense. Considering that the winter solstice is the longest, coldest night of the year, the Holly King should be at the height of his power during this time. Because of this, many modern pagans have this exchange of power happening during the equinoxes, since that is the time of balance and change in seasonal patterns. Thematically, the idea is quite interesting. The oak is the strongest, mightiest tree in the forest, from a European viewpoint, of course. But when autumn comes, he loses all his leaves and becomes withdrawn just to survive the bitter cold of winter. Not so with the holly. Holly remains constant and evergreen. In the summer, he is outshined by the mighty oak. But in winter, he is the most glorious, bedecked in brilliant green and red. The irony is that a holly tree with red berries would in fact be female. What does this mean for our topic? In many parts of the world, mumming or masked acting in a play, ritual, or ceremony, is a common New Year's tradition. In the case of the Holly King, the legend is already established. 
All that we have to do is create the spectacle. Now let's say we're having a New Year's celebration. Someone would have to tell the story to the crowd in order to renew the tradition for another year. And then someone else would portray the Holly King for the night. The Holly King would be treated like royalty, but that means they must also behave as royalty. At least the idealized version of it. At midnight, the person who initially told the story would make a declaration. With the stroke of midnight, a new year begins, but so too does the Holly King's power wane. For now, we bid the Holly King good night, but in three months' time, we shall convene again when we will crown the new Oak King. This ritualizes the event and sets expectations for the future. In three months' time, someone will be crowned the Oak King, and then, in six months' time, a similar event will take place with that person on the throne. Besides, this gives you an excuse to throw a party four times a year. I'll be honest. This subject went off in a whole different direction than what I expected. As I researched this and wrote about it, I realized that a lot of what is missing from New Year's celebrations isn't a result of the resolutions, but the magic and the pageantry behind it. It seems to me that the holiday has become commercialized. It's just another excuse to eat too much, drink too much, and generally just consume. Then again, mankind has always looked for reasons to throw feasts. These events were a way to bring the community together. Of course, these events usually had a reason. There was some form of participation, something that engaged everyone that was in attendance. Sure, New York City usually has a concert, paired with the descent of a glittery disco ball, but what do the people in attendance do? Yeah, there's a ritual in the strictest sense of the word, but where's the magic? I don't really have an answer for you on this one. All I can say is that we are at a unique time in history where we are largely discarding manufactured tradition and instead are returning to the old ways. Or, in lieu of that, we are creating our own traditions, which is its own form of magic in itself. The Esoteric Book Club can be found on Patreon, Facebook, Instagram, and at esotericbookclub.org. If you like what you've heard, please leave me a review somewhere. Anywhere. I have several reviews out there, but not enough in any one place to really amount to anything that will get the attention of the algorithms. So, this week, let's focus on Facebook. Everyone, please go to Facebook and leave a review for the Esoteric Book Club. It helps out a lot and will make it easier for new people to find the show. If you want to help out the show financially, Consider joining the Esoteric Archive on Patreon. 
There are donation levels starting at just $1, going all the way up to the $20 level. Every donation helps with server costs, reading material, and helps me repay my debt to the leprechauns. They are way too enthusiastic about breaking kneecaps. I hope you enjoyed the first regular installment of the Esoteric Footnotes. Let me know your thoughts, and if there's anything you would like me to cover in the future, please contact me at jason at esotericbookclub.org. So until next time, remember, stay weird. Hey everyone, Natalie here from The Pendulum's Path. If you need guidance, direction, spiritual connection, or more, then listen up. I have worked as a psychic and a medium for over three years, connecting people from all over the world with their loved ones in spirit, giving them insight and guidance into their current situations, the past healings that need to be worked on, and what it is they need to know today in order to have a better future. It would be my absolute honor if you would visit my website at www.thependulumspath.com. I also offer emailed readings for those with busy schedules too. Also, for you goblins who subscribe to the Esoteric Book Club, I have a special coupon code just for you. Enter the code STAYWEIRD to get $5 off of any order of $25 or more. Hope to see you there.